It is the most consequential Supreme Court case regarding elections since the 2000 election debacle, which saw the Supreme Court basically calling the election for one side or the other. It is also, honestly, probably the last case they would like to see landing on their doorstep as they battle the perception that they've become more politicized. So what are the arguments that we will see as the Colorado case banning Trump's appearance on the Colorado ballot comes to the highest court in the land? We turn to former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan and professor at the University of Michigan Law School, Barb McQuay, joining us on the live line this morning. Good morning, Barb. Good morning, Guy. Thanks for having me. So it, it there's so many different um, arguments that are going to be made here. One of them is that President Trump will say that he is not, under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, an officer in the government. And yet there are kind of dueling definitions about that, is, aren't there? There are. And, you know, Guy, if I were a betting person, my, my bet would be that the Supreme Court will decide this case on one of these more legal issues as opposed to engaging in the bigger question of engaging in insurrection. And this is one of them. Um, you know, when courts look at, at uh, interpreting statutes, they have to look at the language of the statute. And so what this says is that this provision applies to senators, representatives, and other officers of the United States. And so the argument is, well, if they intended to include the president, they would have named the president as they did senators and representatives. Of course, the counter to that is, of course, it means officers of the United States. They had to name senators and representatives because those are part of the legislative branch and all the officers are in the executive branch. And if they meant to protect the government from those who had um, been treasonous toward it, then, uh, of course, they would have included the president of the United States. They also looked at the language of the oath. Um, The 14th Amendment says those who have taken an oath to support the Constitution, the oath the president takes is to preserve, protect and defend yeah. the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that suggests that they meant something other than the president. But in earlier versions of Section 3, though, the president and vice president were included, and then it was scrapped from the final text. Doesn't that tell us something? Yeah, although, you know, one of the reasons that textualists are textualists is they will say that, um, you know, looking at the language of uh, statutes and constitutions is a little like watching sausage being made. It's kind of a messy process. There are others who said, uh, you know, it should apply. And so you never know exactly what was in the intent of the framers because there are lots of people involved and there's lots of different people with different interpretations. And so that's why they look to the plain text to decide what was meant at the time. But but you're right. And I don't think it's an easy issue. I think one of the things that you often hear from people who want one outcome or the other is that they will suggest that, of course, you know, the answer here is obvious. And I don't think it's obvious. I think there are a lot of hard questions to be decided here today. And omit a lot of information in the process. So do you believe Trump's lawyers will cling to that officer of the United States? Because the other argument is he didn't engage in an insurrection. You know, Jamie, I think that they will raise a number of different arguments as they have in their brief. And what they get a chance to talk about today will be very much a function of the questions that they're asked by the justices. Um, they may want to avoid that substantive issue of engaging in insurrection, although even that is pretty vague. And there are some additional questions. And if Donald Trump can win on any one of them, then he wins. And so there are some other ones. One he's argued is that it's premature to ban him from the ballot now because the language of the 14th Amendment prevents uh, someone only from holding office 
not from running for or seeking office. Some say that would lead to an absurd result, right? Which is right as a practical matter. Then, yeah, you get to January and they say, "Sorry, you know, no can do. Uh, let's let's start over and, and pick someone else." Um, or that it is only Congress who can make this decision. It is not a, a decision for the courts. And so I imagine that uh, Trump's lawyers will focus on all of those things because if he wins any one of those, then he wins. And so giving the court some off ramp to avoid that engage in insurrection. Um, I think might be an attractive um, alternative for him and for the court. Barb, there's a a strict decorum to follow uh, when you're in the Supreme Court. And, you know, uh, former President Trump has basically been in all of his all of the courtrooms where he's facing uh, uh, cases uh, across the country. Is it a good idea for him to to be there in the Supreme Court? I know there's no cameras there. They do audio uh is is it a good idea for him to be there and maybe try to turn that into uh his his own type of uh uh campaign circus? stop yeah campaign circus if if i were advising him as his lawyer i would say there is nothing to be gained and much to be lost by your presence inside this courtroom so maybe you should uh, spend your time in in other ways because as you say it's very strict they have a sergeant at arms they follow a, a very specific protocol there are time limits on all the arguments and being disruptive, I think can only harm him. Now, maybe he has a press conference on the steps outside. You know, people often have uh, press remarks or protests on, on the steps of the courthouse, you know, go for it there. But inside that courtroom, it will be very formal. Chief Justice Roberts runs a tight ship uh, and there will be, you know, they, they utilize this scarce amount of time really to ask questions of the lawyers to help them craft an opinion, or sometimes even to serve as an advocate for the justice sitting two or three seats down from them by tossing out questions that they hope the lawyer will answer to satisfy their colleague. Sometimes headlines have a way of colliding, Barb, and, and today a headline out of off of NBC News, Russia has banned an anti-war candidate from facing off against Putin. That in Russia, some elites have said who and who cannot run against the, the leader. Is that something that they could consider, not Russia, obviously, but is that something that the Supreme Court should be considering, whether we want an unelected judge in Colorado or a panel of judges, whether we want a secretary of state in Maine to have that kind of power to ban a candidate from the ballot and perhaps determine the outcome of a presidential election? You know, as a practical matter, I suppose Chief Justice Roberts is thinking about the institution and making sure he is protecting its reputation in the court of public opinion. But... I think that really is not the job of judges. They have to make some very unpopular decisions yeah. from time to time. So and it's so a political question, really, not a legal question? I, I think it is a legal question, and I think they should avoid the politics. So I think that okay. from time to time, um, there is um, pressure on them to make that which is politically popular. Um, and I think their job is to read the text. But you raise an important question about what is a political question. And there are certain questions, for example, political gerrymandering, that the Supreme Court has held by by the language of the Constitution, belongs to the political branches. And I think there is an argument that the mechanism for enforcing this is is Congress and not the courts, because there is language that Congress may remove the disability with a two-thirds vote. Mm-hmm. So does that not suggest that, that it is Congress who does the fact-finding, and upon a finding of engagement in an insurrection, 
then this disability is automatic, but that it is Congress who makes that finding. Well, I so think I think that's another possible off-ramp. There's also an argument that legislatures at the state level should be handling this, not a secretary of state or the judicial branch, too. Uh, Barb, just about a minute left. Um, my question is, I, I heard that Chief Justice Roberts is probably going to want to get not, uh, maybe not unanimous, but not along party lines kind of deal. So it looks better to the public, whatever the decision is. Do you agree with that? I do. And, you, you know, he may not be able to get there. But I think, you know, sometimes in big decisions, um, you see and you never know what's going on behind the scenes. But um, you know, Brown versus Board of Education famously got to a unanimous opinion. And sometimes the way to achieve that is, well, if we take out this explosive language here and we tone down it here, would you be willing to sign on if we agreed to do it in that way? So um, I think he will work hard to try to get as much consensus as possible. It may be impossible to get a unanimous decision, but I think that it, it is worth the effort on his part uh, to try to get consensus because it's such an important decision. And for it to split along party lines, I think would further undermine public confidence in the court yeah. as an independent institution as opposed to simply a political institution that reflects the viewpoints of the presidents who put them on the court. Barbara McQuaid, we appreciate your clarity. Thanks for being with us.